0: to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Those so of us upstairs in Big Church. We want to open up our Bibles in two different places. We want to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 11, 2 Chronicles 7, 11. Then we will turn over in our Bibles in a little bit. First 1 Kings chapter 11. So 2 Chronicles 7, 1 Kings chapter 11. Those are our two scripture passages we're going to look at this morning. This is the fifth part of a five week sermon series on season of prayer. We have been going through this set, uh, passages with along with our prayer guide for revival, looking at prayers in the Bible and looking at what it means to see and to witness God to move. And we're coming to one now that is frequently quoted. It's very common, and it's uh, one that a lot of times this passage is actually read around 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and it usually has an American flag flying around. But I think we're going to look at the uh, context of this, what's really going on. And this is not a Make America Great Again or Made in the USA passage. This here is about about. God's people turning in obedience to him. And there's a contrast that's going to be made from King Solomon to his father, King David. What's going on here in 2 Chronicles, Israel had three kings before they split. And they split because of Solomon's disobedience. And the first king was Saul. He was rejected by the Lord. And the second king was David. And he honored the Lord and he was loyal to the Lord and he was a man after God's own heart. After David passed away, David had a son named Solomon. Solomon ascended to the throne. But towards David's later years in life, David realized he's in this nice palace in Jerusalem, and he looked out his window, and he saw a trailer park. It wasn't a trailer park like today. It was a trailer park of the tent of meeting. See, there was no temple for the Lord. It was what we call the tabernacle. That was what God gave Moses, and it was a basically a portable tent that moved. That's where the place of worship was. And David felt like, here I am in this nice cedar house. And I look out my window and I see this raggedy uh, tabernacle. And this is our place of worship. I want to build a house for the Lord. David wanted to build a new temple or a temple. He hadn't even built one yet. And God spoke to him and says, David, you know, I don't need a temple to live in. I don't need a home like you need a home. Uh, But I see your desire, but your son's going to build the temple for me. But you're not going to build the temple because you're a man of blood, meaning you've shed a lot of blood and David was a military leader as well. So David had this desire to build a temple, to be the very first temple. And then Solomon came along And Solomon lived in a time of peace for Israel. And he built the temple. And the temple was very nice. And it was one where it was a permanent structure and only can be built on the highest point in Jerusalem. And that area is called Mount Moriah. And the reason why it can only be built there is that is where Abraham came to sacrifice his son Isaac right before the Lord stopped him. And that's also where David was judged on his disobedience for his census and the pride in his heart. It was at that exact location that the Lord stopped punishing Jerusalem in the city for David's disobedience. But Solomon is going, he, he begins building this temple. And he gets to this section here in 1 Chronicles chapter, or 2 Chronicles chapter 7 where the Lord is going to appear to him a second time. You say, a second time? What was the first time? Solomon was a young man when he became king. And he asked, the Lord appeared to him, and it says, Solomon, this was the very first time, this is in 2 Chronicles 1, Solomon, what would you like? Anything you ask, I'll give it to you. So instead of asking for money or fame, Solomon asked for wisdom and discernment and knowledge. And God said, because you didn't ask for money and fame and great wealth, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you all these other things as well. Solomon truly had it all. He had wisdom. He was considered the wisest man on earth. He wrote our Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. And not only that, he also God also gave him great wealth. He was a very wealthy man. This was Israel's heyday. They had Lots of gold, lots of jewels, lots of great wealth. And Solomon lived in a time of peace. War is very expensive. It uses all of your resources, your people die, the morale of the country's always down during war. So that was not the time of Solomon. It was a great time of peace. And then he builds this temple, the very first temple to the Lord. And they're going to dedicate the temple. And leading up to what we read here, we're about to see the second time God appears to Solomon. And he's going to have this dedication. And they dedicate the temple. Fire comes down from heaven. And at the altar, the very first sacrifice of the temple is consumed by the Lord. It's approval from God that he's doing the right right thing. And this is where we're going to pick up here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So Solomon finished, I mean verse 11, finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace. So we're seeing this great building plan completed. Everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, you know, night is a lot of time that a lot of times the Lord speaks to you. If you put your phone down and you actually think about the Lord, he'll speak to you at night. Because it was at night that God spoke to Solomon. And he said, Solomon, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. The temple can only be built in this exact location. Why? Because God chose it. So even if you go start a church down the road here and you call it temple such and such, it's really not a temple because only in the Bible can a temple be at Mount Moriah in Jerusalem at this exact location that God chose For the sacrifice. So what happened is God's saying, Solomon, I approve of what you're doing. This is good. And he goes on to say, If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people. So he's saying, I'm in total control of the situation here. And he goes on to say, And my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray, And seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. He's referencing the temple. And I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. God is always at the temple. He has chosen this place, he's telling Solomon. But there's a condition, and their condition is that verse 14. God is saying, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he's, God is telling Solomon, if, if, if this occurs, verse 14, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal your land. Why would God say this? This is interesting. And here's why. Because they are at their perfect time. They have lots of wealth, a time of peace. Things are going really well. Israel is at their strongest they've ever been. Solomon has great wisdom. He's a great governor. He can lead the people because God has given them uh, the gift of leadership Yet there's this sense that something is still wrong. God is warning them, saying, if my people, there's still this big if that's lingering over that they need to make sure they stay faithful and following to the Lord. And the reason why God is doing this, and this verse is so important, is because Solomon was not a loyal man to the Lord. Even though up until this point in his life, he has been uh, committed to the Lord, he's not. And we're going to see that when we flip over to 1 Kings. He's actually the exact opposite of David. He's a total disappointment. And in fact, he's so disappointing, the kingdom is torn away after he dies. And God actually destroys everything that he just built. This wonderful building, this great Wonderful city and has so much wealth. It will soon, in a matter of years, be destroyed by Babylon and hauled off with Nebuchadnezzar in exile. All their wealth, their 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 walls will be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed. The Ark, which is at this time in the temple, it's going to get destroyed. Is gone. That's what we're about to see. What's about to happen here? And God is uses. If you look at verse fourteen, He uses this phrase. And, and turn from their evil ways. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. A lot of times we hear about heal their land. We think about our country. But we have to remember this was in the Old Testament. God actually gave Israel land. And that's the land of Israel today, what we call Judea. And that was a promise from Abraham that God gave to Abraham and then the 12 tribes of Israel that this is their land. That's why there's ongoing fighting. There will forever be fighting going on in Israel because of that promise that was made to Abraham. They're fighting over land. We as New Testament Bible-believing Christians, we have not received the promise of land like our uh, Hebrew friends in the Old Testament have. God's presence lives in our hearts and among His people. Every country is God's country. He loves everyone in every single country. Yes, we want to experience great revival and see lots of folks saved here in the United States, but that goes to God, looks at Mexico and Venezuela, and He thinks the exact same thing. He doesn't show any partiality towards citizenship, towards certain folks. He looks at people individually and he sees, okay, this person is either saved or they're lost. This person either knows Jesus as their Savior or they don't. It's not, this is not a Bible verse about making our country what it once was or what it fictitiously once was even. It's about individual people having great great revival and a closeness in their lives. So that can certainly apply in one church or in one city, in one state. It can be anywhere. It's the Lord just working and healing their people. Because what happens when you see people who've been praying and they're passionate for God, it's very likely a community that you could have at our church 50, 60, 70 people next week get saved and baptized. That will change a neighborhood in a community. That can change a school. You will see great uh, fruit that will come at a local middle or high school or a college because people are turning away from sin and they're turning to Lord. You can see marriages and families healed from this. That's, what we're, that's the story we see that's being told about healing their land. This is not about cleaning up Washington. That's not what we see here. This is about individual people getting saved. Because there was one person in Israel who did not honor the Lord. And that was the man who this is being told to. And that is Solomon. So keep your finger here in 2 Chronicles and flip over to the left to 1 Kings. Because here's the sadness what we're about to see. You're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11. This is the fall of Solomon. God appeared to Solomon two times. He actually th- appeared a third time, but it was a time for destruction. The first time he received wisdom, he asked God for wisdom. The second time God appeared to him when he dedicated the temple and says, Solomon, you stay faithful to me, and I will, uh, I'll bless this land, I'll bless the people, and the nation will be blessed. And then the third time comes, finally, and it's for destruction. Solomon, you did not obey. You were not loyal to me, and he—it was—it was destroyed. All of this greatness that was built, and you—we know, look at what Solomon did, and back in—don't turn there—but we were just in Second Chronicles chapter seven. If you flip over two more chapters to chapter nine, you see the Queen of Sheba came. A lot of times we hear about the Queen of Sheba we're thinking, what on earth does that happening? to you? The Queen of Sheba in our Bibles was actually the apex for Israel in your Old Testament. That was the very top, the truly the best, best thing to happen because once you're reading your Old Testament, once you get past the Queen of Sheba, you are on a downhill slide all the way to the book of Matthew. Just downhill. Everything is bad after Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba came from either... Yemen back then, or Africa, she was heard about Solomon's great wealth, Solomon's great um, knowledge and his wisdom, and she brought a caravan of camels, that's what they rode back then, and they rode their camels up to, the, up to Jerusalem, and they were impressed with his jewels, his gold, how well he governed the people, how smart he was, and it was the greatest thing. Jesus even mentioned the Queen of Sheba about how great it was. After the Queen of Sheba, Solomon's heart went away. Solomon started out good. He was trained by his daddy, David. He grew up in church. He knew his Old Testament. He knew the Ten Commandments. He witnessed and he saw what was right and what was wrong. And he built the temple for the Lord. He was a man of peace. He didn't go around fight. He was not a warrior. He was a domesticated man that just went around and made sure everybody, he was just a manager, made sure you were doing your job, we're going to build a building, also taxed the people really heavily, and he collected gold and jewels. And good things happened during his, rom- during his time, but Solomon had one major downfall. And it's towards the latter days of his life. And that's what we're about to read about. And this is why we talk about Solomon. But in many ways, Solomon was shameful. He's a bad example for us. In contrast to his father, David. 1 Kings. This would be the last scripture we read this afternoon. 1 Kings chapter 11. Look at this. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. This is the first negative word we see written about him. Up until this point, everything was perfect for Solomon. But he loved foreign women. Now here's the problem with foreign women. In the book of Deuteronomy, the men were told, you do not go intermarry. Now they're not talking about interracial marriage. They're referring, in the Old Testament, marrying people who do not worship the Lord. You go and marry some of a Canaanite who worships idols. Because if you marry someone who worships idols, if you do evangelism dating, evangelism marriage, you're going to have one saved person over here, and then you're going to have a lost person, and their beliefs are not the same. They have a massive difference between the two. And Solomon's heart was led astray by the false worship of these women and their idols. He even married Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that was probably also a political marriage because that's how he lived in a time of peace because he would go and marry people of those other countries and and then they wouldn't go to war with each other. Mobite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. If you are single, you should not even be dating someone who's not saved. If you have children or grandchildren, you want to be praying for your children and grandchildren for them to marry a godly person. The Bible literally tells us if you marry a lost person who's not saved, that, you, that person, the person who loves the Lord, their hearts will be led astray. And that is what happened right here. Solomon, with his non-Christian wife, many wives, he was led astray. To these women, verse, latter part of verse 2, to these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. So he loved these women, and that supplemented his love for the Lord. That was in contrast to his father David. Look at this: Solomon had seven hundred wives who were princesses, and three hundred were who were concubines. A concubine's a personal prostitute. That's what a concubine is. And they turned his other way. Solomon married one thousand women. I mean, he had a whole city of ladies over here that he was married to, and he helped himself to, and they all worshipped idols. And they led his heart away from the Lord. And the Bible tells us this over and over and over. This is polygamy at its best. When Solomon was old, so this isn't young man Solomon. He started out good. This is old man Solomon. Old man Solomon, verse 4, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not, this is the key verse, I think this entire 1 Kings passage, he was not wholehearted Wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been he was not wholeheartedly meaning he had like 25% devotion to the Lord he had some devotion he knew about the Lord but he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord this is what's amazing he, the, the Bible makes a contrast between David you know a lot of times we pick on David I mean you think look, look at the contrast between David and Solomon David over here the man was an adulterer. He also murdered people, and he was a warrior. He uh, he had bloody hands. That's why God uh, wouldn't allow him to build the temple. Because I mean, he he led a renegade of soldiers when, especially in his younger days. And not only that, he was a really bad parroting skills. He never disciplined his children. They were truly buck wild. So you look at David, this man today. If you if, if you had a, if you were looking at characteristics of David. Murder, adulterer, uh, can't manage his own family. He was someone that might eat, probably end up in jail even over the murder. I mean, he would just not be a noble man today. But I want to tell you something. You look at Solomon, I believe Solomon would be somebody you would put on a $20 bill today. Solomon, he built buildings. He lived in a time of peace. He made political treaties with the other uh, Nations so they didn't have to go to war. He was really good at getting taxes and money in the temple treasury. I mean, he, he could balance a budget. He could keep the economy going strong. He, he built the Lord a temple. Fire came down and consumed the offering. His only challenge was he just had a lot of wives. And his heart went astray. And I believe, Someone like Solomon today, if he was 2023, he would be honored as a great man. He just had these women here on the side and worshipped other people, but that's just who Solomon was. And David is a murderer and just not faithful at all. I believe on today's standards, David would be frowned upon and Solomon would be uplifted. Because on a worldly standpoint, what Solomon did, he, I mean, he, was, he was renowned with his wisdom, his wealth, and famous people would come and see him. But that did not impress the Lord at all. A massive contrast. God had no regard for Solomon. Solomon was a wicked man. David can see both these men's hearts. And the man who was the adulterer, the man who was the mor- murderer, the man who would, couldn't manage his family, that man loved the Lord. And that is, what the, that is what it means to wholeheartedly love the Lord. Solomon didn't have that same love for the Lord. Solomon loved idols. This man over here, David, loved the Lord. So you see here in our Bibles, Solomon in verse 5 followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Milkan, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. I mean, God over and over again, the Bible just keeps saying, this man, Solomon, is not loyal to the Lord. God is looking for people today who have a desire, even... Even David had some character, lots of character flaws. He had a heart for God. The man loved the Lord. Now, he came with some baggage and he had a lot of problems. But this man over here, David, he had a loyalty to the Lord that his son Solomon, who's on the $20 bill, didn't have. And God is looking for people who are like David. God offers forgiveness. You, make, you send the Lord to forgive you. But just, Solomon just didn't love the Lord. He had no loyalty to God. He cared more about these women and building them idols. Look at verse 7. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemoth, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites, on the hill across from Jerusalem. How ridiculous is this? The temple that the Lord built, that Solomon had built for the Lord, you would walk out of church. Back then they would go on Saturday. And then you would look at your beautiful country. And what would you see? You'd see across the street, another temple to a false god. And who built it? The same man who built the church. He's also building a temple, idol worship. I mean, the Lord is saying, this is wild. This is abhorrent. You're building temples to the Lord and you're also building temples to false gods who don't even exist. That literally breaks the first and second commandment Solomon. And Solomon knew it because he grew up in David's house. And he goes on to say in verse 8, He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to his gods. He never stopped them. He never said, hey wife, we shouldn't be doing this. He just went along. The Lord was angry with Saul because his heart had turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice... Two times God had appeared to, you would think if the Lord gives you anything you want, like wisdom and discernment and all the wealth in the world, and he, you would think he brings down fire from heaven and speaks to you at night and says, hey, you just stay faithful and I will bless you forever. You would do it. But Solomon did not do that. He had commanded about him, about this. And that's that verse. In verse 10, when it says, he had commanded him about this. That goes back to 2 Chronicles 7.14 because God knew, Solomon, you have a wicked heart. And I'm going to warn you, even though even though you have this, all this blessing around, you are going to lose it all. Do you know God destroyed this temple? He was not impressed at all with the temple. He didn't want the temple when it was originally built. He wanted to live in a trailer park tent, the little tabernacle that was just torn up in a big mess because God doesn't live in a building. He lives in people's hearts. He's looking for people who have a passion and desire, who wholeheartedly long for him and have that loyalty. And Solomon was a building man. He thought, well, I need to build a big building and God will be pleased. That doesn't please the Lord. He had commanded him about this so he would not follow other gods. But Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded Last few verses, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Solomon, Since you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant, and my statutes which I command you, I will tear the kingdom away from you, and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it in your lifetime for the sake of your father David. Just to honor David, who's already in heaven with me, Solomon. You're you're, going to lose all of this. I'm going to tear the kingdom apart. But I'm just going to do it after you die. Because I loved your daddy, and your daddy loved me. And you're not your daddy. I will tear it out of your son's hand, yet I will not tear their entire kingdom away from him. I will give one of, one of the tribes for the sake, to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, that which I chose. So there's still a glimmer of hope here only because of David's faithfulness. What do we see from Solomon? We see this man, and I believe that this can be a, a, a challenge for us. We feel like, during times of goodness, when you feel like you're healthy, financially you're okay, your bills are being paid, you're getting along okay at home, there's no, no problems whatsoever, and you find yourself, during seasons of blessing, your heart will actually stray, and can, through being comfortable, through being complacent, it will stray from the Lord. Do you know, it was? think about David. David was always on the run. He always had a Goliath in front of him. He always had some army, some Philistine group trying to capture and kill him. And God, he was, he was completely dependent upon the Lord each and every day. Even Saul, as he was a young man. His father-in-law was trying to kill him. Even his son, when he rebelled against his father, Absalom, He tried to kill his father. David was constantly relying upon God. And Solomon didn't do that. He didn't have to. Because it was during a time of peace and comfort. And that is a dangerous time in our life to be in. And you think about the life of our church. You know, we have no, to my knowledge, no real serious issues. Our giving is as strong as it's ever been. We're running ahead of budget. We... God is just blessing us. This past year we had our most baptisms in 23 years. It's easy to look back and say, you know what, we're very comfortable here at Broadway. Debt free. No major expenses. Things are going very well. Just have your donut and just go along. And that is a time. If you're not careful, you'll fall into this. We can fall. I can fall into the same trap as Solomon fell into. We're We need to be reminded. We need great revival. We need a great movement of the Lord. David had a heart and a passion and a desire for God that his son Solomon, he had a loyalty that Solomon did not acquire. What is revival for us? It's having a heart after God. And say, Lord, I want you. Don't let me be complacent. Don't let me be average. Don't let me get in some type of just routine. Help me see all the lost people around Lexington and desperate people who need to be saved. Because when we slip out of that thinking, you're right here with Solomon. We're we're thinking like him. And, And you're just going through your days and the Lord is not pleased. This morning for our invitation... I want you to ask and say, God, my heart right now, is it lining up like David? Who, David had a lot of character flaws. He committed a lot of sin. But David had the heart for God. He wholeheartedly sought after the Lord. Or has your heart become like Solomon? Where you look around and your circumstances are really good. You feel like, I'm making it, I'm healthy, things seem to be okay, no major problems, but your heart is not wholeheartedly for God. This revival, next week's revival, it's a time for examination, Says God, where am I at? Am I in the camp of Solomon where I'm giving you 25% or am I over here with David? I might have a lot of problems and issues, but Lord, I'm after you and I'm a work in progress constantly relying upon you. We're going to have our invitation. Beecher, I want you and the band, y'all come on forward. We're going to have our invitation respond to the gospel. Maybe you this morning, you need to get saved. You have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. And we don't have to wait to next, you don't have to wait to next week to get saved. If you've been coming to church here and you've been thinking about trusting Jesus, you know, this service, past few weeks, we've had a lot of decisions. A lot of folks have given their lives to Jesus. And you need to do the same. I stand up here with Zach and you come walk down the aisle and we pray, where, how do you get saved? You walk up here and pray with Zach and I and you give your life to Jesus. That's how we get saved. And this is also our time we join our church. You make Broadway your church home. God, most importantly, is looking at your heart and He wants you to have a heart like David's, which is a heart after God. Solomon's heart, the Bible says, was led away from the Lord. And I want to tell you, It might not be foreign women in your life and multiple girls or guys. It might be something as simple as busyness, the internet, social media. It's just things of life. You have been led away. At one point, you were so committed to Christ, but for whatever reason, you have drifted away. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. Zach, you come stand up here with me. We're going to have our invitation. This is our time. We respond to God this morning.